0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. i got a very big show for you today. There's a lot of stuff going on in sports this week. We're going to dive into as much as we can, including college basketball. I'm going to be joined today on the show by Patrick Schmidt, the college sports editor for Fansided. We're going to break down everything you need to know ahead of championship week, all the major conference turns this week, Selection Sunday is just days away. I'm very excited about that. I will talk to Patrick all about everything you need to know heading into the tournament, everything you should watch for this week, some of the big headlines in college basketball. We'll get to all that today. Also this week, NFL free agency kicking off in full swing. The deals are flying, trades coming in all over the place, signings coming in like crazy. Joe Dalvisia, our NFL guy, will be on the podcast this week. We are going to break down all the big headlines, including that Antonio Brown trade, the liaison Le'Veon Bell, all that good stuff later in the show. Also, today I have a special fantasy baseball preview for you on this week's Saturday Night stretch. I'm going to be joined by Phil Lombardo, a good friend of mine who's in my fantasy baseball league, has worked in fantasy sports in the past. He has a lot of interesting insights to share about this. We can talk about some sleepers, busts, general strategy, all that good stuff. Make sure you're locked into the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill. We're going to tell you why smaller conference tournaments are amazing, and you need to watch as many of them as you can this week. Check it out. You need to do that. I'll explain why at the end of the show. But we'll get things started this week's opening tip, where I'll talk about the complete collapse of the L.A. Lakers right after this.
1: It could be a trade with, you know, for an Anthony Davis, or I think they need to explore trading LeBron for getting as much as they can. What are you doing? Seriously. No, seriously, what are you doing?
2: I, no, the, you got to get on the right timeline. If I could, I'm could, i going to say, if I could trade in for the Clippers into cap space, which would give me a better chance to get Durant or Kawhi Leonard, would I not do that?
0: Alright, we're back with this opening tip. You guys heard from ABC's Jeff Van Gundy during yesterday's Lakers loss to the Boston Celtics. Van Gundy throwing out a hypothetical scenario that the Lakers should consider trading LeBron James, the best player in the league. And it's amazing that things have gotten to this point with the Lakers. When LeBron went there last summer, everyone was saying, automatic playoff team. They may not win the West this year, but they are going to the postseason. Look now, the Lakers have lost five in a row. They are 30-36. and 36, Seven and a half games out of the final playoff spot in the West, and they are going nowhere fast. Brandon Ingram shut down for the season. Alonzo Ball shut down for the season due to injuries. LeBron James now on a minutes restriction. He missed 18 games earlier this year with a hip injury. And this season has turned into a complete and utter disaster for the Lakers. And for the Laker haters, it's a lot of fun. LeBron not getting his way is always interesting. Because LeBron has sort of become the boogeyman of this league. Where he does whatever he has to do to try and get where he wants. And make sure he the guys he gets to come with him, come with him. And we saw... I attempted this through the whole Anthony Davis saga. Remember, Anthony Davis forced, tried to force his way out of New Orleans this year. Davis and LeBron, the same agent, Rich Paul. It made it very clear that like, they were hinting that they wanted Davis to go to the Lakers. And the Lakers, led by GM LeBron, decided, you know what? We're going to offer half our team to the Pelicans in this trade. They were offering Ingram. They were offering Ball. They were offering Kyle Kuzma. Draft picks. Basically, LeBron's ready to empty that war chest and send half the locker room out of there to get Anthony Davis to L.A. That didn't happen, and this season has turned into a disaster. That move, that power play by LeBron, fractured the L.A. locker room, and that team has not been the same since. And now we're getting to the point where we have Jeff Benghudi going on the air during a nationally televised game, mind you, saying that the Lakers should trade LeBron James or at least explore deals for him, which, let's be honest... This is one of the stupidest ideas I've ever heard. You do not trade the best player in basketball. Not when you're the L.A. Lakers and LeBron came to you, signed a four-year deal with you, and said, I want to be here to win. You don't do that, turn him around and about six months later and say, you know what? LeBron, you go to L.A. You go to the Clippers. We don't need you anymore. What kind of message is that sending to guys like Kevin Durant or Anthony Davis? They're going to say, gee, if they did it as a LeBron, why won't they do that to me? That's problem number one this idea. Problem number two, the NBA is a league dominated by superstars. You have one. You do not give up that superstar for a collection of spare parts, draft picks, cash space, you name it. You build around him. I know LeBron is 34. I know his prime is starting to wind down. But you know what? you make it work and i think part of this is magic johnson also here has to step in here and put lebron in his place a little bit because gm lebron is going to ruin that franchise gm lebron cannot get whatever he wants and say you know what i want these 15 players here these guys are out like i'm gonna kick Walton into the curb because i don't agree with him you know what magic can say lebron we are paying you a lot of money to play basketball you can have a voice in the decision making process But you are not making the decisions here. I am. I am in charge of this franchise. You will play for Luke Walton, and we will get your input on who we should bring in here and who you think can help us make better. But you are not going to say, you know what, you have to trade half a team to get Anthony Davis. That's not how we're doing things. And that's become a complete disaster, just like the ownership of the Knicks is also a disaster. In case you missed it over the weekend, James Dolan created another scene at the Garden he was walking off the court after one of the Knicks' latest losses when a fan at him, sell the team. Dolan stops, points to the guy, and says, you're banned for life. Have fun watching the games on TV. Are you serious, James? Are we really doing this? We're going to ban a fan because he said sell the team. What are you going to do when the whole arena starts selling the team? You can't roll them out? You can banned. ban 20,000 people from the garden? Sounds like a great business model, James. And you know what? It's time to grow up, man. Stop running the Knicks like a child. You hire basketball people, let basketball people make decisions, and you know what? Grow a thick skin. You are an owner of a New York team that has won absolutely nothing for about 20 years now. You think the thick fans are going to sit there and go, hooray, we lost 50 games again, woohoo. No, they want to win, and they think you're the problem, so of course they're going to say you should sell the team. Have a thick skin, dude. Grow a pair. Deal with your fans. Win them over. Do things the right way. Put your ego aside. Convince the guy like Kevin Durant to come here. Get Kyrie Irving to come here. If you get the number one pick, keep it and draft Zion Williamson. Boom. These fans will sing your praises. Instead, you he's trying to micromanage everything, and we have the latest NBA disaster. Two of the great melodramas of this sport in New York and L.A., Hence why I don't spend a ton of time on this sport during the regular season, but I feel like I had to say something here. Up next, we're going to talk some college hoops with Patrick Schmidt right after this.
1: Back door, second blocked by Marvel Kalish-Veely. Pound from Tritton. Woo! What well, Tritton makes the world!
0: All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. That call you just heard, courtesy of Gus Johnson from Fox Sports. You know it's college basketball season when Gus Johnson gets fired up. I'm excited to talk about the tournament today. Joining me is the college sports editor for Fansite, Patrick Schmidt. Patrick, welcome. How are you today?
1: I'm um, excellent. You know, it's March. we got conference tournaments gearing up. we got the, the the big dance coming up the week after that, so this is an exciting time to be a sports fan.
0: Very exciting. I cannot wait to get, dive right into this. Let's go right to the ACC, which I feel like is the most interesting conference tournament right now. Zion Williamson is supposed to come back for Duke. How big a deal is it that he's coming back for them right now?
1: Well, it's gigantic. I mean, he's the the best player in college basketball. He's going to win all the uh, the National Player of the Year awards. Uh, probably going to be the number one pick in the NBA draft. and. Uh, getting him back is huge for Duke. You know, without him, they, they struggled. They didn't look like the, the best team in the country. They looked like a, a very good team, but uh, certainly one that was flawed and was missing the uh, you know the biggest piece of the puzzle. So to get him back, uh, you know, he'll help out R.J. Barrett, Cam Radish, and the rest of those guys because, I mean, the guy just commands so much attention wherever he is. He's just such an efficient scorer. Um, you know, it allows Duke to, you know, kind of – Uh, you know, air it out a little bit be uh, beyond the arc a little bit from three where they've been less than stellar this year. So to get him back, he's such a monster in the blocks, really anywhere offensively uh, and defensively as well. So to get this big puzzle piece back, uh, you know, hopefully there's not too much rust or any residual effects from that injury. uh, And he'll look like the national player of the year when he comes back. So uh, to get him back, you know, uh, Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, uh, roll the dice; it could be any one of those big three teams that uh, ends up cutting the nuts down.
0: Yeah, it's crazy too because all three of them can end up on the one line on Sunday because they that they all have resumes worthy of it.
1: Yeah, I don't know if that's going to awfully happen. I mean, that's kind of it's kind of similar to uh, like SEC football when we talk about uh, can they get two teams in the playoff? Hey, what about three? Even you know, it's uh, it's tough. You know, there's only four number one seeds to go around. I could definitely see a, situation, uh, a scenario where they get two teams in. Um, but it's going to depend, um, you know, if Virginia, and North Carolina end up in the final, or if it's Virginia and Duke, or you know, some combination of that. Um, you know, I could definitely see a situation or a scenario where two of those schools uh, get one seeds, but uh, three is probably going to be pushing it because you know we got we got to earmark Gonzaga for a one seed, and then uh, you know we'll see what happens in the SEC tournament with Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee. Uh, it's another uh, top-heavy conference with three. Uh, Three really good teams, and uh, you know we'll see what happens in the Big Ten. Maybe Michigan State can play their way to that one line.
0: Yeah, let's go to the SEC for a moment there. People don't realize that LSU is the top seed in that league right now. Because they had a fantastic regular season, but now they're without their coach because Will Wade got suspended, being got caught up in the FBI probe for the recruiting. So how do you think that loss is going to affect LSU going forward?
1: Yeah, it's tough. You know, They're the, the regular season champs, but heading into the SEC tournament, i probably give them the third best odds to, to win the tournament. So uh, you know, it was a great season for LSU, uh, for Will Wade. Thought this was a, a program that was headed in the right direction. Uh, looked like they might make a deep run into the tournament this year and, and really have some sustainable success uh, in the years to come. You know, they've been uh, obviously a football factory, a football uh, school, but uh, the basketball program was definitely uh, doing some good things. And now, you know, it's like, all right, well. Great regular season, but uh, you know that now that we're in the SEC tournament, it's time for Kentucky uh, and Tennessee. And Tennessee, who was just so good for so long, had a couple of hiccups late in the year. But uh, you know, I'd be surprised if Kentucky or Tennessee doesn't win the SEC tournament. And uh, I also wouldn't be surprised to see LSU get to the get to the semifinals of the SEC tournament and and still end up with a you know probably a two season in Big Dance. So uh, you know, a really good season. But you know, Will Wade, you know. Might end up being fired because of uh, off court stuff, and you know, it's just a shame. Really stinks for their fans who, you know, thought they had a nice, great young coach who was really uh, developing this program into something that could be a potential powerhouse.
0: Yeah, we'll wait. The suspension is be a big deal. We'll keep an eye on that. We'll also go back to the Big Ten for a moment. You brought that up earlier. The big showdown between Michigan and Michigan State, possibly looming in the final that week. Purdue great as well. Who do you think is going to win the, the Big Ten tournament?
1: I think I'm going to go with Michigan State. I mean, you know, when in doubt, you know, it's a team coached by Tom Izzo. um, You know, they're just so used to this, uh, this format, multiple games and and multiple days. Uh, You know, they know what it takes to win, uh, you know, the half-court offense, half-court defense. Um, So I think they're going to be the team to beat. Uh, You know, they just took care of Michigan the other day. Purdue, not really high on them, uh, and the rest of the conference. It's been kind of a weird year in the Big Ten. Uh, You know, there's a lot of good teams. They're going to get like eight or nine in the dance. Uh, We'll see what happens with Ohio State and Indiana. Um, You know, a couple of bubble teams there. But, um, you know, when in doubt, got to go with Coach Izzo and and Sparty.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Plus, they're getting Nick Ward back for the Big Ten tournaments. Exactly. You know the limited minutes, that's going to be a big deal for that team.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're getting healthy at the right time. Uh, they're used to, uh, you know, the tournament formats. Uh, and coaches. are the best coach in the Big Ten, one of the best in the business. So, uh, going to ride with them.
0: Yeah, let's go another Hall of Fame, Coach. Bill Self down at Kansas. For the first time in 14 years, they do not win the Big 12 regular season. But do you think they have enough to gather on that team to make a run in, the, not in the Big 12 tournament, but the actual NCAA tournament?
1: I could see them getting into the Sweet 16 or so. I don't think this is going to be a year where – um you know they get to the elite eight or the final four or anything like that uh it's just been kind of like a war of attrition for uh kansas this year um you know the, the big 12 is, is certainly tougher with texas tech and kansas state having really really great seasons uh this year but kansas knocked off the block from uh you know the uh, the top of the mountaintop where they've been like you said for 14 years uh they've lost guys to injuries suspension um you no, know, LeGerald Vick left the team for personal reasons, so I just don't think they have the manpower and the personnel this year to uh, to go on a deep run. Certainly built Self as a great coach. Uh, depending on the matchups and how things shake out, I uh, could certainly see them getting to the Sweet 16, but anything beyond that I think would be a reach.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. That team was number one entering the season. They whipped Michigan State back in the Champions Classic in November.
1: Yeah, it's funny, you know. It's like preseason number one, number one entering the first week of the year. I think Duke passed them up after uh, the first week of games, but, but still, I mean, I think they're, you know, 17th, I think, after the latest AP poll. Um, you know, maybe they'll get like a four or five, six seed, something like that in the tournament. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, you lose three of your best players, maybe your three best players. Uh, it's tough to overcome that in the season. Yeah,
0: I also want to figure out with you, try to figure this out together. Like, what exactly is happening in the Big East right now? Because Marquette was on top of that lead, they lost four in a row to end the season. Villanova's been up and down. Seton Hall was good to end of the season, and St. John's at one point we thought was a lock. Now is playing the Paul tonight to basically fight for the tournament. Why? So, what exactly is do you hate, of the Big East this year?
1: Yeah, Big East is crazy. You know, you started with Marquette. I thought they were the class of the class of the conference this year. You know, look, looking really good. Whoa, Joe. Uh, doing some great things there as a coach. Um, but yeah, losing four straight in the season to get into the conference tournament. that's not exactly inspiring and uh, instills a lot of confidence uh, in backing that team. but you know, I still think uh, you know Marquette's best is better than the rest in the big east. you know, Villanova is good, but you know they've been they've been up and down, really great at home, tough on the road, um, and pretty much every tournament game is a road game. so, uh, I wonder about them. But, you know, Seton Hall's played well. Creighton has, has finished the season well. Um, St. John's has not finished the season well. So, man, it's just been a, a helter-skelter kind of a year for that conference. But if I had to pick one team to, to really back, it would still be Marquette despite this four-game losing streak the end of the year.
0: Now, I like Villanova's chances. I do think Seton Hall is a sleeper to win that tournament, though, because they finished the year hot, beating both of them in their building. I think they cat momentum forward.
1: Yeah, that's a good point with Seton Hall. You know, it's like they haven't been daunted, um, you know, by either of those te- two teams uh, at the top. And, you know, we, we've seen crazier things happen where a team gets hot and they get momentum. They start believing in themselves. And, you know, sooner uh, than later, you know, we see them cutting the nuts down in their conference tournament and, you know, going on a nice little run in the, uh, in the big dance. So definitely going to have to keep our eyes on Seton Hall and uh, what they can do the rest of March.
0: Yeah, and let's go to the Pac 12, the last Power Conference we haven't hit yet. The Pac 12's had such a bad year. I mean, Washington is, I think, the only team guaranteed to get at large out of that pool. But, like, do you think it's possible that they win the auto bid that they only get one team to come out of there?
1: Yeah, it's possible. Um, Now, I could see a situation where maybe Arizona State uh, wins a Pac 12 tourney, and then they get in, uh, and then, you know, they'd be stealing a bid from, you know, maybe a team like Belmont. Or something like that you know a, a, a mid-major uh, that had a really 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 good regular season but don't win their their uh conference tournament so um maybe arizona state could get in um they've had a couple of nice wins but you know again some some really bad losses which has been the, the story of the pac 12 this year i mean you know i i didn't see arizona going eight and ten in the conference this year do going nine and nine you know it's just been uh Season to forget for some of these big legacy programs in the Pac 12. So, Washington, they're in regardless. Uh, Arizona State, though, maybe they got a shot and a prayer to get in if uh, they can at least get to the final of the Pac 12 tournament.
0: Yeah, I wrote something up for fanside recently. That the double bubble teams' tournaments need to watch. They need to watch the Pac 12 tournament because I think Oregon is a great shot to win that conference tournament because they're hot right now. They won 4 0, they beat Arizona State and Washington down the stretch. and if Oregon wins that tournament, they're taking a bit from somebody.
1: Yeah, in Oregon, you know, we thought they were probably going to be the, uh, the best team in the conference. Uh, beginning this year, they lost bowl-bowl, uh, like, really early in the season. But, um, yeah, you know, we've seen Oregon have su- success before. they got a good coach, so uh, they might be able to make a run. And if they do cut down those nets, it's going to be a, uh, a tough Sunday uh, for selection Sunday for some of those mid-majors and teams on the bubble uh, waiting to see uh, about their tournament lives.
0: Absolutely, you brought up the little guys on the bubble there. Looking, I always love to look for the Cinderellas. I fill out the bracket. Who is somebody you have your eye on? You think could be a sleeper team, make a deep run in the tournament?
1: Oh man, I love this. I mean, it's it's going to have to depend on once the bracket is officially set. And we see some of these like 12 matchups, or you know, we see kind of the road um, that maybe they can navigate a little bit. But uh, really like Murray State, uh, obviously John Morant. Uh, you know, when we talk about, like, the, uh, NBA draft, it's, you know, Zion, 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 R.J. Barrett, uh, and Job ja Morant. I mean, the guy's been unbelievable. Looks like Russell Westbrook with his ability to score, dish. I mean, the power dunks. I mean, he's been awesome. So, and Murray State's been hot. I think they've won 12 games in a row. So, uh, they got going, they got that going for them. So, uh, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, really like Utah State, um, another smaller program, maybe not as small as some of the other Cinderella stories out there, but uh, I think Utah State is a really nice program. think they could cause some damage in March. I uh, talked about Belmont earlier. They didn't win their conference tournament, but a uh, really, really, really great regular season, and I think they're still going to get in. They're probably on that uh, bubble line right now, and uh, they might need a couple of uh, breaks to go their way uh, during the conference tournament, but I-, I could certainly see them get in. Um BCU, another team that's, that's playing their best ball at the right time. They've won 12 in a row themselves, uh, just dominating the A-10 competition. So, um, you know, we've seen BCU make it to the Final Four before. Obviously, different coach, different regime, different players, but, um, you know, they could be another team that's really tough to deal with um, in the tournament. So uh, those are just a couple. Um, I'll probably have a couple more. Like, uh, once we see the bracket shake out and we see some of these. Uh, Know, potential 5-12s or, you know, 6-11 uh, type matchups where there's some potential upsets in the first round, and uh, maybe they find themselves getting to the second weekend of the tournament.
0: Yeah, I know a couple I'm watching for sure. I watched I watch Liberty play in the A-Sun Championship on Sunday. They look very good. I like them a lot. Hofstra, if they get through the CAA, they have a good uh, player in a uh, Justin wright Foreman, He could be a good deal. And, obviously, the team that I think is going to take the country by storm is Wofford, just because they played so well. The one, they only lost four games and all year, and those two were to North Carolina, Kansas, Mississippi State, Oklahoma. And all four of those teams are going dancing. So I would be very worried if you see the Terriers on the opposite side of your team on the bracket.
1: Yeah, and I think they've gone 20 straight now. So yeah, and they ranks, I mean, this is like, they've kind of like eclipsed like the mid-major profile in a sense where like, yeah, we we expect you to get to the Sweet 16. You know, they're not just like some cute little underdog story, but Still, they are a cute little underdog story, and uh, you know it's a. I love the tournament for a number of reasons. One of them being the Cinderellas, the big upsets, the buzzer beaters, and uh, and really giving these guys, these, these coaches, programs, schools, players, a chance to be in the spotlight a little bit when you know they really aren't covered at all uh, on a national level. Uh, you know, for the four, five, six months of the regular season. So, uh, you know, we're days away from Selection Sunday. I can't wait for it, and. Um, yeah, Wofford. Maybe they could be a, a fun little team that gets to the Elite Eight and uh, you know captures the hearts of uh, America.
0: I, I hope so too, Patrick. I know you got to run. Thank you for all the time today. Before you go, you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff we're up to over at FanSided for the uh, getting ready for the tournament.
1: Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Uh, search my name, Patrick A. Schmidt. Um, and yeah, it's going to be tons of fun stuff uh, coming out over the next few days and weeks on FanSided. Selection Sunday is going to be a hectic circus kind of a day, but uh, we're going to help everybody fill out their brackets, the teams to pick, the teams to avoid, the potential upsets, potential Cinderella's, uh, all that good stuff. And uh, hope to keep everybody entertained and informed uh, until we're cutting the nets down on that first Monday in April. Yeah,
0: it will be a lot of fun. Patrick, thanks again for all the time. really appreciate it.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, that was Patrick
0: Schmidt talking college basketball. Up next, we're going to do a little NFL with Joe Dalizio, break down the wild start to free agency right after this. And
1: they are second and four. Then dancing, waiting, throwing, and the catch is made by Brown. Touchdown. Twenty-six yards to Antonio Brown. Alright, we'll start on the outside. There's Antonio Brown. Because Ben Roethlisberger was able to buy so much time, double move, no problem. There he goes. Right over the top, really pretty good coverage, just a brilliant catch.
0: Alright, we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. You just heard the call from Al Michaels, Chris Collins on NBC back in week number four. Antonio Brown catching a touchdown for the Steelers. His last year in Pittsburgh, as it turns out, now he's a member of the Silver and Black Joining me today to break down all of the craziness over the first day in a qu- and say two-thirds of the NFL free agent madness in the legal tampering period is Joe Dalvisia, our NFL expert. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, Joe. Before we dive right into this, I have a little mood music. I want to set the tone for this
3: uh, free agency period. Let's okay. hear it.
1: money,
3: money. Money, money. money.
0: Money. These NFL teams are making it rain right now with these guaranteed
3: contracts. It's incredible right now, big time, big I, time. And this is this is the this is probably the most exciting part of free agency is the initial bursts right out of the gate and seeing how much um, teams are willing to to really overspend on these guys. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. It's so crazy because like, you just see these contracts just drop on Twitter. We've been basically football star for a month waiting for anything to happen. All of a sudden, boom, 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 signing, 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 trade, signing. It's just- yeah,
3: at this point, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of uh, real NFL, uh, not real NFL, football fans in general um, have gotten a little bit of a taste of the AF, AFL or whatever that, yeah, the, a- a- F- the AAF, exactly, whatever yeah. it's called. But uh the minute that this legal tampering period begun, all attention, one hundred percent of the time devotion on Twitter now being spent, as always, on the NFL.
0: And I think the legal
3: tampering period is the dumbest thing this league has come off with. Why well, just let them sign already? I mean, to be honest with you, do you really believe that agents or Friends of the agents or players or friends of the players aren't already talking to possibly who that next team is. I I have a hard time believing in the era that we live in with uh, social media and Instagram. I mean, we're constantly... Now it's a thing that if an athlete follows somebody on Instagram or unfollows somebody, that it may mean something. Uh, Le'Veon Bell still remains unsigned as of right now on Tuesday at 5.09 p.m. Um, I saw... Something so ridiculous to the fact that Le'Veon Bell changed his background on Twitter to green. Does that mean anything? I, I mean, the assumptions of, of this is crazy. And that's why, you know, this legal tampering period, these guys know what they're doing from yeah. day one. I mean, they talk to these guys. I have a hard time believing that it's all hush hush. Oh, absolutely.
0: Let's, before we go get into Le'Veon Bell and why he has not picked the team yet, which is surprising, he is the, the top guy in terms of name value on the free agent market. Let's go back to the Antonio Brown a bit. And the Raiders have been swashbuckling their money around like crazy. They trade for Antonio Brown, give a third and fifth round picks to the Steelers, they get him back. They sign Trent Brown to a huge contract. They just signed LaMarcus Joyner, a big contract. They're in the mix for Bell, too, apparently. I don't know if they're actually going to do it or not, but like... What do you think of all that Oakland has done so far?
3: I mean, here's one thing. When John Gruden took over this team and the first thing he did was ship Khalil Mack out of town, yeah. I thought, geez, what is this guy doing? He's been you know detached from the game so long yeah. that he's lost his mind. And now you start to see what he's piecing together. I mean, a third and a fifth for Antonio Brown, Yeah, not a bad deal considering um, they gave up a third for Martavius Bryant. Yeah. Okay, and I don't even know if Martavius Bryan is still in the league. Yeah. Um, they add the most consistent and the best wide receiver. Obviously, he has an ego. Yeah. I think we could agree that a lot of the NFL does. Um, but they get, they get a difference maker, right? They get a difference maker on this offense on Antonio Brown. And I think Brown is going to be motivated. Um, he wanted to leave Pittsburgh, he wanted more money, he got both of those opportunities. And remember, this is a team that's heading to Vegas. Star power. A lot of star power right. on and off the field. Now, maybe that's not a great thing for Antonio Brown but or the Oakland Raiders in general, but they're making a lot of good moves. They're spending a lot of money to really compete right now. Yeah, they are trying to
0: compete right now. Speaking of somebody who's going to get a lot of money, we are still waiting for you, Le'Veon.
2: Well, we're waiting.
0: As of right now, still no team on Le'Veon Bell. Yet, if he is not signed by the end of the, by the time I'm done recording with Joe today, I will talk more about this next week. But as far as Le'Veon Bell is concerned, here is the latest as of 5.11 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon. Earlier today, friend of the podcast, Matt Verderan, put out a tweet that the Jets are offering him... 17 to 20 million dollars a year up to 60 million of that guaranteed four-year contract there's also reports that the ravens are interested in him but they just signed mark ingrams so that probably takes them out of there the bears are in the mix the raiders we've heard are in the mix what do you think the holdup is with levy on why do you think he's taking so long to make a decision
3: this is ridiculous yeah uh, i thought that this would have been the first guy to to you know jump off the market yeah. um and obviously there's teams lining up why do i think it's taking so long I think that there is a team out there that offered Le'Veon Bell the max amount of money possible. In my opinion, is probably the Jets. Good, a good possibility. Yeah, Good possibility it's the Jets. Again, I don't know. Yeah. But I think there's a team that offered him a tremendous amount of money. And deep down, he does not want to go to that team. Yeah. And he's waiting for Team B, who could be the Oakland Raiders, who knows, Let's just use the Jets and the Raiders as an example here, right? The Jets offer the most amount of money possible. Le'Veon doesn't want to go to the Jets. He wants to go to the Raiders. But that money isn't nearly close to what the Jets are offering. Yeah, I think that's what our holdup is right now. Because remember, if Le'Veon gets anything less or pretty close to what Pittsburgh was going to give him, he looks like the bad guy yeah. and a lot of people could already mark him as the bad guy for sitting out an entire season. Yeah. So what he does, I think that's, what's holding us back here. Um, because uh, listen to us, it's like, it's, it's like peanuts right yeah. now. I, it's the difference between, you know, I mean for them, excuse me, not for us, but you know, it's probably $10 million difference. Like and Tusper, like, sign me up for yeah. wherever that is. But for him, he's trying to make his power play, and that's what this has always been about.
0: Yeah, we'll get you'll get we'll we'll deal with more on him in a bit because the, the Jets seem to have this problem of uh, in this period right now. It seems that like nobody wants to take their money.
3: And that's a bad thing.
0: Yeah, that is a bad thing. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's also touch on the quarterback carousel a little bit. Not as active as last year, and in felt like about nine or ten different teams changed quarterbacks over the offseason. We have uh, four quarterback moves of note to date. Nick Foles goes to Jacksonville, gets four years, $88 million, 50 of it guaranteed. Case Keenum gets traded to Washington to fill in for Alex Smith. He's got traded because Joe Flacco is now going to Denver to replace him. And Teddy Bridgewater apparently turned down more money from the Dolphins to stay behind
3: Drew Brees and back up in New Orleans. Which of these quarterbacks do you think is in the best spot right now? I think it's Nick Foles. Uh, I think it's 1A Nick Foles, 1B Teddy Bridgewater for staying put. Um, With Nick Foles... That Jags defense, still a lot of pieces there. Young team, um, young running back in Leonard Fournette, if he could stay healthy. He probably needs a weapon to throw the ball to down the field, uh, someone who's more of a consistent player, somebody who's on the field at all times. Um, but that defense really is the bread and butter there. Uh, if Nick Foles was their quarterback uh, just a couple of years ago, they may have went to a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, instead of getting eliminated in the playoffs uh, by the Patriots. Um, And I thought it was very smart of Bridgewater to stay put. Yeah. Uh, It's not about having a starting job here, I guess, for Bridgewater. It's more about security, being in a good system, being surrounded by a good team, and having and playing behind a leader in Drew Brees. Yeah. and Drew Brees doesn't have many years left, you know, so the loyalty that Teddy Bridgewater is showing could end up paying off in the long run when, you know, Brees could possibly be done in the next couple seasons and insert um, Teddy Bridgewater.
0: Yeah, that's going to be an interesting spot, too. Nick Foley, the Jaguars, is a great fit. i more teams are not in on him, considering the fact that he's had a great playoff resume. Uh,
3: I agree with that. I think, though, in terms of best possible fit, where else... I don't think there would be a best, a better possible fit than Jacksonville. I think every other team that's in the market for a quarterback or looking for a quarterback have other bigger needs that are holding them back. The Jaguars automatically become a playoff team or in that conversation again with Nick Foles. Yeah, we know some Jaguar fans. They'll be very happy about that. But let's
0: go on to the Giants a bit. team I thought could have been in on Nick Foles. They were not, but they've been busy. They did not tag Landon Collins, let him walk away. We'll get to that. They traded Olivier Vernon for Kevin Zeitler in a player and pick deal with Cleveland. Re-signed Spencer Poley, and there are rumors still floating around they're trying to shop L.L. Beckham Jr. again. What do you make of what they've done so far?
3: Well, I'm not surprised. You mentioned Nick Foles and the Giants. That yep. didn't happen. Yep. No way they could afford that with what they're paying Eli Manning. Yep. Um, I'm actually surprised that the Giants' first move hasn't been or there haven't been reports about them trying to restructure Eli Manning's contract because I think that's what's holding them up yeah um, let's start with uh, not tagging Collins if this was the plan if this was something that they knew was gonna happen shame on management yeah shame on management for not shipping him out uh, before the trade deadline last season this doesn't just happen overnight you know you you, you have these ideas you know his contract is up um, or is coming to an end. They should have traded him away at the trade deadline and got anything because now letting them, walk, letting him walk um, nonetheless to a divisional rival in the Washington Redskins looks terrible yeah. on their behalf. Um, so I thought they, they completely mismanaged the entire Collins deal. I have no problem with the Vernon trade. I think that was a great move by the Giants. They dump his salary cap. And in return, get one of the top guards in the league. Yeah. And their biggest need is offensive linemen, protecting Eli, opening up holes um, for Saquon, giving Eli more time to throw the ball. So I th- I thought that was a layup. Yeah, I think they've done
0: pretty good. I feel like they need to do more work. I, don't, I would not trade Odell Beckham if I was them because you have so few different makers on that team right now. You can't give one of them up.
3: Well, here's the thing with Odell Beckham Jr. I feel like these trade rumors will always be around this guy because of what the media has created off the field with him now granted there's some things that he does off the field that you're like what are you thinking what are you doing i mean the josina anderson sit down interview with little wayne you're like what like he's throwing eli under the bus he's sometimes not a a team player but the passion is there and you're not going to find a playmaker like odell beckham jr now if you're going to trade Odell Beckham Jr., to me, that means you're completely thrown in the white flag before the season has started and is saying, hey, it's time to rebuild. that That's the message that comes across. Um, and if that's the case, you better get a good return for him. I mean, and I'm talking definite first round pick. I'm talking future second round. Um, you got to get a lot if you're going to deal this guy. Otherwise, I mean, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know what the exact motivation is there. We'll see with them. Now we'll get to the Jets, who I feel like i have gone complete 180 in about the past like 24 hours in terms of like public opinion of them. Because last, they started off the Aussie by training for Kelakayo Semele from the Raiders. They, pick up, they basically dropped 32 spots in the draft to get him, which I thought was a great move. They signed Jason Crowder for the slot, which is nice. They had signed Anthony Barr. They had him under contract, but he decided he got cold feet, went back to Minnesota, they dumped a Brinks truck of money at CJ Mosley's feet. We have to see if he actually will take the money and not do, pull a bar. We'll see that. They were in mixer Matt Paradis. He t- he does not go there. He goes to Carolina for three years, twenty-seven million dollars. And as I mentioned, still highly in on Bell, but Bell for some reason does not want to take their money. What is going on with the Jets right now?
3: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because at first it really looked promising. For the Jets, and I thought they were actually yeah. For about five hours this morning, they had both Anthony Barr and CJ Mosley. And I really thought this going off of this morning, looking at the landscape this morning, that wow, they're they're early winners here yeah. in in free agency in this legal, legal tampering spot. But I'm surprised by Anthony Barr having you know cold feet. Um, I think it it was a little bit more than cold feet though. Um, money obviously had a lot to do with this. I think the Vikings saw what. The Lions were doing saw how active the Packers were and said, "Hey, we can't keep losing guys. We need to do something. Let's bring back, let's bring back Bar, um, Mosley. loved the love the addition. Jamison Crowder could be a really good player in that Jet system. I thought they were doing. It seemed as if they were giving Greg Williams all the weapons that they possibly could. But now here we are, and it's like you still have a ton of money. What's next?"
0: Yeah, the question I have with the Jets is I feel this is a problem now for a couple of years now where they've had all this money and no one wants to take it. So I don't know. Is it maybe guys don't want to play for Adam Gase? Is McCagnan not convincing enough in the room when he's in the meeting with the free agents? Like I don't know what the deal is because they have the most money in the league and they're actively trying to get people and people are saying, no, thanks. I'll go whether well
3: there's always less money. I think it comes from up top. Yeah. I think the issue is up top and people know the dumpster fire of that organization when it comes to the top level of management and I think that's what's holding them back. Um, but at the same time, I know you're a Jets fan. You're upset. You want to see this team excel. You want to see this team spend money. But you can't afford to, to throw a stupid amount of money at these guys. And then they don't perform. They don't show up. So it may be a blessing in disguise in some ways that you're not going after um, the top guys. All of the top guys aren't ending up in New York. Because it could end up backfiring. Just because you spend money doesn't always mean um, it's the best decision. Yeah. So, you know, there's two sides of everything here. Yeah. You know, it's probably best that if Anthony Barr had cold feet coming to New York that he's not here. Yeah. Hopefully things go through with C.J. Mosley, and that's a great addition. Now see where else you could add. Um, personally, if they could get Le'Veon Bell... Sky's the limit. That helps that offense immediately. If you can't get Le'Veon Bell, you need to consider making a trade. I would bring in another wide receiver. Jamison Crowder isn't enough talent to add into that offense for Sam Darnold. I've been saying this from day one. Sam Darnold needs weapons. He still doesn't have them.
0: Yeah, he still doesn't have them. They still have a lot of time to make things make things up for him. Hopefully they can get more in there. Let's do a little rapid fire here of some of the other big moves of the week. Let's go to Landon Collins' contract with Washington. Your thoughts on that?
3: first reaction whoa way <laughs> too much money for safety
0: 100% agree I don't know why they gave him that much money because for what his skill set is it's not a, it's not a I mean, wise investment for in the box safety
3: uh, that's a typical Redskins move though yep. throw a bunch of money at one guy it handicaps them and they stink for the next three years yeah Albert what? Hainsworth yep I mean this is 2.0
0: Probably. Let's go to the Eagles who made two interesting moves. First, they they bring back the Sean Jackson trade for trade for him, bring back from Tampa. Your thoughts on that?
3: Oh well, I (laughs) think honestly, uh, he doesn't he doesn't nearly have that same skill set as he once um, had when he was in Philly. To me, it's more of like, hey, we gave up a what a sixth, a seventh round pick for him. Yeah, it's another weapon that we could give Wentz if he could stay on the field and be healthy. That's awesome. If not, oh well. All right, other
0: Philly move. They trade Michael Bennett away to the Patriots. They get back I think a five, a five
3: and they give New England a seven. So like what do you think of that move? The Patriots don't make deals that hurt them. Yeah. And that's what scares me. Yeah. The fact that they were willing to trade with the Eagles, bring this guy in to me that says, you know, there's some something still left in the tank for Bennett.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm that worries me because like it's also one of those things in New England where they never do a trade where they don't get a pick back somehow. Where like if you you give you give them one, they give they have to give you back one. That
3: organization has mastered yeah. pretty much every nuance of football, whether it's on the field, off the field, making trades, signing players. They have they have a formula that nobody in the NFL has
0: yeah they have that guy Ernie Adams, who I feel like it just literally it just gets paid to look at the rulebook book and find ways to exploit it I mean not mm. only that
3: I they, they must have engineers coming up with some form some type of formula to, to to really evaluate these players and what they have left in the tank because again, there are not many guys that they have traded for that haven't panned out even if it's only one year and then they dump them they yeah. get what they need out of them and they're gone.
0: Yeah, let's go to another patri- former Patriot, Trey Flowers, goes to Detroit, gets a huge
3: guaranteed contract. What do you think about that move? Yeah, for the Lions? a lot of a lot of money yep. for for Flowers there. But another not surprising move, it makes sense. Uh, Flowers reuniting with his former defensive coordinator, current head coach for the um, for the Lions, Matt Patricia. So I'm not surprised there. The Lions, another team similar to the Redskins, where sometimes they get a little too happy, they throw some money at a big guy, and it kind of Puts them back a little bit. I think they got a lot more issues on that offensive side that it's gonna they're gonna it's gonna hinder them this year as well.
0: Okay, another interesting defensive move. Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, goes to the Chiefs. Gonna play back in the secondary. Eric Berry.
3: What do you think about that move for Kansas City? Great move. Probably the best move, um, because of of Kansas City's window. I mean, I think this team obviously is a win now with what you just saw out of Patrick Mahomes. So stack up the talent surround Mahomes with as much talent on both sides of the ball to get you back to where you should be.
0: All right, so which team do you think is the most approved right now? I know most people say the Raiders, but do you think somebody else has done better than they have?
3: So, yeah, obviously there's no denying that the Raiders are up there. Uh, one team that deserves credit, though, um, is the Green Bay Packers, without a doubt. Um, they had needs at linebacker. They had needs at safety, needs on the offensive line, and they've hit them all. Um, Zadarius Smith from... The Ravens, Preston Smith from the Redskins, um, the safety out of Chicago, offensive lineman from Denver. They, you know, Guttenkos said they're going to be involved. Day one passed and you didn't hear much about them. Day two, they exploded. Um, what this, What this does really for Green Bay is it opens up other opportunities. You know, come draft day now with two picks in the first round, linebacker, may not have to be addressed right there. Um, they could look elsewhere, whether it be the offense alignment, offensive line or even tight end. Another thing, more importantly, shifting towards the draft a little bit, is that now whoever Green Bay drafts at 12, right? Let's say they still do pick an edge rusher. That person, that guy does not have to play immediately. You know, they have been forced in situations where rookies had to be implemented right away because of lack of depth, and that's no longer the situation. And more importantly, they've got younger guys. And this is something we haven't seen Green Bay do. Sign guys that are heading into their prime. Um, they're they're notorious for adding those veterans. Charles Woodson, Jimmy Graham, uh, Martellus Bennett, Jared Cook. I mean, Julius Peppers. The list goes on. They're always adding veterans. To see them add people in their prime is a shift in error between Guttenkos and Ted Thompson. It's encouraging. Now, on the flip side, you're spending a lot of money on young kids. It may not work out. They may have played to their potential, but there is a lot of opportunity there. Absolutely. Let's go the other direction. Which team do you think has been the worst, the biggest loser so far this offseason? Um... Biggest loser this offseason. Now, before the Vikings got Anthony Barr back, I would have said the Minnesota Vikings. But I will argue that the Colts right now are the biggest losers. Because here's a team that had a ton, that have a ton of money. And there's still plenty of people that are out there that can make a huge difference. But there is no reason why that the Colts shouldn't shouldn't have been involved with anyone that who is going to sign with said team. Especially on the defensive side for the yeah. Colts. I mean, you saw the rebound that they, the rebound year that they had with the return of Andrew Luck. I thought they would be really active and really push um this off season. Yeah, and they ended with the most cat space too, which makes it even crazier. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you see teams like the Raiders spending all this money, and you're like, what about the Colts? They have over 100 million. All right, last one for you. What storyline intrigues you the most with the draft coming up next
0: month in terms of the NFL? Is it the Kyler Murray saga? Is it what the Jets are trying to do? What as your
3: as your attention right now? It's got to be the quarterback situation um, between Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, who goes? Who's the first quarterback off the board? Do the Arizona Cardinals give up on Josh Rosen already? And draft another quarterback Do the Giants end up drafting a quarterback in Dwayne Haskins Or does Kyle Murray end up My thing is I don't really see Franchise quarterback talent In in either of these guys And somebody Is going to take a risk in that top 5 On one of these guys And that could set a franchise back So uh, it'll be really interesting to see um, What goes on What happens with these quarterbacks yeah, it will be fascinating to
0: watch. One last nugget I want to throw out there. It came out on Twitter while we were on the air. Matt, like They broke down the Matt Paris on NFL Network. Ian Rapport reported that the Jets did not make an offer to Paris because they were waiting on
3: Le'Veon Bell. And that's not good. Well, that that shows what they want. Yep. They want Bell. Yep. They want Bell, and that's their offensive weapon that they're going to give um, Sam Darnold. The fact that he hasn't signed anything yet, I'd be concerned. Yeah, the longer this drags on, the more likely it is he's not coming to the Jets. I believe that. All right, Joe. Thank you for all the time. Before we go, i all let everybody know how to follow you on social media and some of the other stuff you're up to. Of course, of course. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe, double underscore. Do not forget that double underscore. Do not forget it. We say it every time. Do not forget it. And then, so Joe, double underscore, D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. Any, anything interesting coming coming off you on fan side? So I had a couple of articles recently published: uh, Green Bay Packers' five biggest needs this off season, or five players uh, that they should target. Excuse me, um, this off season. I also did one for uh, the L.A. Rams, and that was recently published. So definitely check those out if you have some time. And I'll be uh, doing a lot of draft work coming up.
0: All right, cool. Joe, thanks for all the time.
3: Mike, always a pleasure.
0: All right, that was Joe Dalvisio breaking down the wild beginning to NFL free agency. Up next, we'll go to our seventh inning stretch. We're going we to do a little fantasy baseball preview right after this. All right, and we're back. It's time for the seventh inning stretch of the Just End the Suffering podcast. This week, we're going to talk a little fantasy baseball, fantasy baseball season coming up quickly. Join me today, a guy who we last had on back in the week seven of the NFL season do picks. He's a, also a member of my fantasy baseball league, so we're going to preview fantasy baseball with Phil Lombardo. Phil, welcome back to the podcast. How are you?
2: Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me.
0: Not a problem. I believe right now you have set the record for the longest gap between appearances on this show.
2: Well, I'm happy to set some sort of record. <laughs> All
0: right, before we dive into everything, you want to give me a little bit of your background as a fantasy baseball player so pe- people have an idea like what your uh, history playing the sport?
2: I mean, I've uh, been playing fantasy baseball since maybe fifth, sixth grade. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, me and me you have been in a, a keeper league for, God, I don't know, maybe, uh, what, eight years? Um, I've been in another keeper league for about 14 years, so... Uh, I have quite the history with it, and uh, I worked in fantasy sports for a few years uh, with Fantistics Fantasy Sports on uh, Sirius XM. So, uh, yeah, I'd say it's in uh, it's been in my blood for a little while now.
0: Yeah, it is in your blood. Which is why I came to you to, to do our fantasy baseball preview. You and I are in a keeper league right now, but we're going to talk general fantasy baseball right now because not everybody is as diehard as we are with the keeper leagues. And our deadline's tonight, so hopefully we get some information for our draft coming up.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to uh, start doing that hard research.
0: Yeah, before we get, dive into it, let's go to our first point on our seven points of the seventh inning stretch. What do you think are, the obviously most of the audience's general fantasy football players? They play fantasy football every week, set their lineups, and then go away for it. What's the big difference between fantasy football and fantasy baseball?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, for me, the glaring difference is the attention you need to give uh, free agency and the waiver wire. Um, You can definitely go a couple of days without even thinking about your fantasy football team. I know I do sometimes, and you can be completely fine. I don't really recommend doing it often, but it won't kill you. Uh, With baseball, say, uh, constant grind, um, I know a lot of people who say they can't handle it because you just have to pay attention constantly. Um, You need to be on top of the waiver wire at all times because you never know when that closer change is going to be made or that big prospect might be getting a call up spot starters filling in, late pregame scratches, etc. cetera. So, uh, and especially in competitive leagues like ours, um, there are normally a few guys who are constantly on their phones. So it's up it's on you to, you know, keep up with them and uh, find out each new piece of information as soon as it comes out.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just I, from our experience alone in the league, it's hard to keep 12 guys constantly because a lot of people say, you know what, I don't have time every day to check my line and make sure I have the right guys in. That's a big part of just fantasy baseball in general is making sure, you know, like, you have guys in your lineup who are actually playing and not sitting out because you can miss out on a chance to accumulate stats if you have a guy on your bench who's starting.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a few times a year where I'm like, you know, I really missed out on picking up a guy or I, I forgot to put a guy in my lineup. You know, it happens, but you just have to try to stay on top of as best you can. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. For those of us who play in Yahoo Leagues, us included, there is a great feature on Yahoo called, Yahoo's app called Start Active Players. I love that button because if you're in a quick hurry and you don't know if guys are playing, you just hit that button, put your active guys in, it does all the work for you. All right. Let's go on to our next point, number two. What do you think is more important for a fantasy owner to address—the hitting side of your team or your pitching side?
2: Um, I mean, I think you know, it, definitely there's a sort of a matter of preference there. But I, for me, I think it has to be pitching. Um, I tend to have an easier time going out there and finding hitters on the waiver wire. Uh, you can, you know, find guys that are they're hot and uh, ride the hot hand for. You know, weeks on end, I know I picked up Jed Lowry in the second week of last season, and I rode that hot hand for about three months. Found Steven Piscotti hanging out on the waiver wire towards the end of the season, rode that hot hand for another month and a half, and, you know, it helped me uh, push me in the first place. And, uh, you know, it didn't help me too much in the playoffs, but uh, that's precisely what. Um, But, yeah, finding that balance between starters and leaders in head-to-head leagues is definitely a struggle for uh, many team owners. Uh, not to mention the way starters are being coddled and preserved in today's game. There just aren't too many guys out there like, you know, Max Scherzer or, or Justin Verlander anymore. And uh, I have a little tidbit for you. In 2018, there were only eight starting pitchers that threw 200-plus innings with 200 Ks and 20-plus quality starts. So landing even one of those guys in the draft will give you a huge advantage in a number of categories.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to pitching, I love to look for the pitchers who strike out at least a batter in inning because inning. I feel like those are the guys that are your kingmakers in the league.
2: Yeah, especially when, you know, they're grinding, you know, because that 200-inning mark is important. And I know it's not a category in a lot of leagues, but when you see a guy pitch 200 innings, that means he's going deep in the games, which gives him a better chance for quality starts and a better chance for wins. So there you go right there. You know, you got to really pay attention to those guys that can go deep in the games.
0: Yeah, you got to definitely try to have at least one of those guys in your staff. You have more than one that's terrific, but obviously that would cost you a lot in your draft. Let's go there next. So when you're getting ready for your draft. How do you attack the board? How do you say, this is how I want to build my team? What's your strategy?
2: Now, I'm going to break it down between hitting and pitching because there's two uh, different approaches I like to take. Uh, When it comes to hitting, I don't necessarily want the guy that steals 50 bases or hits 50 home runs, or even the guy that drives in 130. I like to focus on the guys that are 20-20 guys, 25-25 guys, the guys that have potential to score 100 runs, drive in 80. Um, stolen bases, you know, we all know it's probably going to be a dead category in about a decade with how the games changing. But for now, it's a standard category in head-to-head leagues and it matters just as much as the others, so you got to pay attention to it. Um, give me guys like, you know, Javi Baez, Ronald Acuna, Starling Marte, Tommy Pham. I want well-rounded guys. I'll rarely go after guys like Paul Goldschmidt, Anthony Rizzo, Jamie Martinez. Not because they aren't great players, they just don't affect as many categories as some of these other guys. Sure, they might lean in a category, but I don't want to focus on one category. I want to focus on them all. And, uh, you know, the more of those well-rounded guys you have on your team, the better your chances are uh, week to week. Yeah, for uh, for pitching, I just touched on that a little bit with the last question, but to expand, I try firmly believe durability is key. I, I rarely go after guys who have injury history, and I don't, Meaning, you know they've only been hurt once or twice. But the guys who constantly get hurt or have lingering issues, especially shoulder issues, elbow issues, issues guys have, who have had Tommy John. And, uh, you know, obviously there's certain ch- times where you want to take a chance on a guy, maybe like James Paxton this season, hoping he stays healthy for a long stretch because he's on the Yankees. He's definitely got a, a better chance of getting some some more wins. You know, maybe, you know, he just gave a little bit more of that Yankee magic and he – is able to put together a really solid season. But uh, I can't stomach normally using a draft pick on a guy I'm not confident will be in my lineup for a majority of the season. I mean, obviously, with guys like uh, Steven Strasburg, he fits in that category. But even someone like Chris Sale scares me because he's had lingering shoulder issues. And I've never had him on his fantasy team because I'm just afraid that even though he's one of the best pitchers in the league, that I'll have him the season where he's hurt for three quarters of the season.
0: Yeah, I agree with your hitting approach. i like to get the guys who get a little bit of everything, as opposed to, like you said, like the one slugger who gave you homers and RBIs might kill your batting average. i like to get the guy who hits two eighty, does a little bit of everything. But as far as pitching goes, I agree also. The harder part for me is the closers, because like, that position is so volatile. And like I've heard a stat, I've said this a couple of times over the years, is that like, I feel like every year at least a third of the league changes their closers by the end of the season because of injury or ineffectiveness or whatever. So it's really hard to pick when you're going to get your closers.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree, which is actually brought me to my next point. Um, I found myself going after some of these stud setup men in middle relievers, guys like Josh Hader. I, I drafted Josh Hader last year, and he was an absolute stud. He struck out 100, over 140 guys in, high, God, I don't even know how many innings. And the, the value there, especially when you have a, a category like case per nine or case per walk. Uh, as a category, that's huge for your team. I ended up with maybe three middle relievers on my team by the end of the year because, you know, you can't predict closers, and, you know, you might have a closer that gets hurt or loses his job, and you might have missed out because somebody else already had them on their team or they picked them up before you. So it's on you to fill in those relief pitching slots with some of those middle relievers that will really bring value to your team.
0: Yeah, the closers in waiting, I like to call them. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's go on to our next category here. We'll take a look at some sleepers. Everybody's looking for those sleepers to get the edge in the draft. So give me some of your sleepers.
2: Yes, it's the it's, it's the it's the sexy category, the one that everybody wants to talk about. It's a lot of fun to try to predict who's going to either make a comeback or you know that guy that you know nobody's really talking about. But um, for me, the first guy that came to mind was Miguel Ceno. Um Miguel Canel is somebody who burst onto the scene. In 2015 at a 21 year old, he hit about, around 270 with a 916 OPS in 80 games, and he followed up with two progressively better seasons. You know, he uh, he was really really solid. He was looking like he was progressing to be one of you know the better young hitters in the league. Uh, but 2018 he hit a wall. He was uh, you know noticeably out of shape going into the uh, into spring training. He ended up getting hurt, and his stats reflected that. And now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at stuff, and I don't see many people talking about uh, Miguel Sano anymore. And I think that uh, he showed up to camp, apparently, in very, very good shape. He's going to be out probably for the first three weeks to a month of the season, which will probably get give you a better chance to get good value on him. So, I mean, look for him in the, in the mid to late rounds. And uh, I think he definitely – he's only 25 years old, and he – I think he has – a lot of potential to have uh, come back here this year. Um, to change pace a little bit, we'll go to a, a New Yorker, um, one that I'm sure you'll be excited with considering he's on your team. Uh, Michael Conforto, I think he uh, I think he really felt the pressure of having to carry a struggling offense last year. The Mets, really, they didn't have many options in their lineup. And I think at 23, 24 years old, Putting the pressure for having uh, on Michael Conforto of having to be in the middle of that order and carry a team that really had a lot of expectations, whether they were warranted or not, is beside the fact. But yeah, they had a lot of expectations, and uh, he felt a lot of pressure in the first half. Once the team fell out of contention, I think that he was able to calm down, reassess himself, and start driving the ball to all fields. And um, you know, after the All Star break, he slashed two seventy three, three fifty six, five thirty nine with seventeen home runs. And uh, considering the Mets' improved lineup, I mean, I'm not saying they're championship caliber, but they're definitely much improved. I foresee him having a little more protection, being a little more comfortable to play, knowing he has help. And, uh, you know, Robbie Canelo and Wilson Ramos are no slouches. So hopefully those two veterans being in the lineup next to him will help him ease that mind and be much more comfortable to play this year.
0: Yeah, I agree with the conformal statement, because I feel like just because, like, last year he was – awful out of the gate, but I think he came back way too quick from his shoulder injury, which I think impacted his first half stats, and now he's fully healthy. We saw what he did in September where he was had 29 RBIs in the month, one behind Yellich for the lead in the major leagues. I mean, Conforo is definitely a sleeper candidate.
2: Yeah, no, without a doubt. And, you know, I think that um, he, he definitely pushed himself to come back because of that desperation the next lineup had. There. there wasn't a lot of guys to put in there instead of him, so you know they, they he probably felt like they, they were relying on him to come back, and I think that ended up hurting him in the long run. But every young player tries to do that early in their career, and you know I think he's learned from it. Um, but we'll we'll go ahead and I'll throw a pitcher in there for you, um, and this is a pretty popular pick from all the articles I've been reading. But uh, I don't know, I think, I think it's kind of a no-brainer. Josh James of Houston, um, and the casual fantasy player might not know who this guy is, but uh, he. Completely shut down AAA, hitting for most of 2018. He belongs to the Houston organization. Uh, no surprise there. Uh, he was a bit of a late bloomer. He's 26 years old. He's dra- he was drafted in the 34th round of the 2013 draft. So, he's uh, you know, he's been working his way through the uh, minor league system for quite a bit now. And uh, he throws 98 miles an hour, and his four-seamers sinks away from lefties, and he has a slight of it dives away from righties, giving him the ability to get swings and misses on batters from both sides of the plate, which is huge. And, uh... Knowing the Astros' proclivity for finding pitching talent, it gives me that that much more confidence that he's going to be in the right situation to succeed. So I definitely look for him in the late rounds because uh, he's definitely going to be one of those like fourth fifth starters that you can throw um, into your lineup, and uh, he has the potential to go off any week.
0: Absolutely, I have one sleeper I'm going to throw out too because I've done my research as well. One guy I'm very high on is uh, Jerks and Profar out in Oakland right now because. People forget a couple of years ago he was the top prospect in this sport, had a major injury, sideline for a lot of years. Last year with Texas, did pretty well, finally got in the lineup at 254, 20 homers, 77 RBIs, 10 steals. They trade him to Oakland, and I feel like to me he's one of those guys, only 26. I feel like he's in that, Yahoo call it the post-hype sleeper phase, where like he's a go there. Basically, forget about him. And all of a sudden, look at the All-Star break. He's hitting 320 with like 17 jacks and 60 RBIs at the break.
2: Yeah, I mean, and for some reason, Oakland at least finds those diamonds in the rough. So they, if they trade it for him, I'm fully confident that he'll have a good season, just because it's Oakland.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oakland has a history of finding those gems. Like Lowry was there before he came to the Mets.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then look at Steven Piscotti, too. Like he uh, just to go back on him, he was you know kind of rejected by the Cardinals after a couple of off years, and he comes back and has a huge season last year.
0: All right, let's go the other direction now. Let's go to some busts. Who are some guys who you would avoid in the draft?
2: All right, just like I said, this is the the sleepers is the sexiest category. This is the least sexy because I just – you don't like predicting that players are going to fail. But there are definitely a few guys that I could see some decline in numbers. And the first one I think, an obvious one. Edwin Encarnacion jumps out at me because he's a guy that's, you know, historically been drafted very high. And he's had – and it was warranted. He's had some great years with uh, Cincinnati and Toronto, and even, you know, the first year at Cleveland. Uh, but he's coming off a season where he saw his OPS drop 71 points, which is glaring right there. Uh, he just turned 36 in January, and he's joining Seattle, uh, who's in the midst of a rebuild. And uh, it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, he doesn't have as much around him. He also saw his contact rate go down to the lowest it's been since his rookie season. And uh, let's not forget that T-Mobile Park is also not the most friendly hitter's park um, at all. Um, Moving on to a pitcher. Uh, This could be seen as an easy pick as well just because of where he plays. Kyle Freeland. Uh, He's coming off a year where he was a fantasy darling, propelling a lot of teams into deep runs in the playoffs. And uh, considering he was drafted late or not at all in a lot of leagues, he made it even more valuable for uh, fantasy owners. But I mean, delving deeper into his stats, his uh, .288 uh, batting average on balls in play, and uh, the fact that he pitches in Colorado, he's bound to see at least some regression. He has an ADP right now of about the 15th round, so fantasy owners don't completely seem to be overvaluing him. Overvaluing him, but uh, he did have a historic year for a rocky starter, and the chances of repeating it are very little. I just stay away. Um, and then I'm going to throw one in there that might be a shocker to everyone. Um, but I think Clayton Kershaw will be outside the top 25 fantasy starting pitchers this season. Um, let's be real. He's he's over 30 now. He's missed significant time in the last three years. He's lost velocity in his fastball, and his curveball last year was noticeably less effective. Um, obviously the injuries have something to do with it, but when you start, Aging, and you've pitched as many innings as Clayton's pitched in his career. You know, remember he started as a very young starting pitcher with LA, so he's got a lot of uh, a lot of mileage on him at this point. Um, and I mean, I, his O rank on Yahoo reflects a decline in performance, but I've seen him drafted as high in fifth as a fifth round in mock drafts, and I know that there's going to be a guy that's like, you know, I'm going to take a chance on him, and I just don't think this season he's going to be worth it. Um, you know, maybe next year when his value goes down a little bit more, he won't be considered someone that could be a bust. But uh, I think for now, it's uh, it's just a season where you stay away from Clayton.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I also have another sleeper from the Dodgers as well. I mean, another bust guy, candidate there, and that's uh, Max Muncy, who came out of nowhere last year. hit 35 homers, only 79 runs, and he had no tracker of this kind of power in the minor leagues and similar like what happened with Chris Taylor two years ago Chris Taylor was a cast off from Seattle has a big year he came back to earth last season I see the same happening with Max Muncy this year so I would not go overpaying for his stats from last year
2: oh yeah definitely and you know like, like everybody says you know a guy burst out on the scene one year uh, teams get a full year of evaluating him and, and figuring out how to pitch to him and, he, and normally you know even the best best players uh, struggle in their second season uh, second full season as a starter so I uh, definitely agree with you there.
0: Okay, let's go on to our next point. Now we've got some, some sleepers, some busts. Let's talk about strategy a little bit. Obviously, in your head-to-head leagues, you have your your five-on-five, five-by-five categories, five-hitting, five-pitching. I've seen people say, you know what, like, I don't need to go for saves. I'm going to punt the saves and put all my pitching assets into categories, keep my ERA lower, or I don't need stolen bases. Do you agree with a strategy like that?
2: Um, I'm going to go on record and say I will never be an advocate for punting categories. Personally, I think most people will say they wanted to punt a category, but it's only because they were either ill-prepared and didn't have enough backup uh, picks and had guys picked in front of them and just decided by the middle of the draft that they had to punt the category, or uh, they just underestimated how early certain guys would be drafted and it ended up just kind of happening to them. Although I will play devil's advocate against myself, I will say I do understand that sometimes a run of closers happen and all of a sudden you only have a chance of Kansas City and San Francisco's closers or teams with a closer by committee. And in that case I'd see why you'd just pump saves and try to stack wins. But any other circumstance I don't really understand why you'd forfeit a category, especially in most standard leagues where it's only ten categories. So you're gonna punt ten percent of your wins for the season. Like, that that's just going to set you way back and give you little to no chance of finishing first, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I don't like that strategy either. I try and be competitive as many as I can. Sometimes I have necessity, like, like the injuries, I can't do it, but like I'm rarely going to say, you know what, screw saves. I'm not going to try for saves here. It seems like yeah. that's a losing yeah. bet.
2: At the beginning of the season, you should go for every category. Sure, maybe by mid-season, if something happens, you know, a couple of injuries or, you know, just the way the season pans out, a couple of guys you pick don't work out and you have to end up punting the category towards the end of the season. But the beginning of the season, there's no reason why you shouldn't be drafting for all categories.
0: For sure. Let's go on to one more point here before we wrap things up. Let's talk about – you brought something up earlier in the in the uh, segment here about the importance of staying active on the waiver wire in baseball league. And I've seen guys who do this who will be hot in April and May, and then by the time the summer rolls around, we the beaches, they're all forgetting to check their teams again. So how important is it, in your opinion, to stay active throughout the whole season?
2: Um, first off, it's very important, and I found that week to week my activity tends to change just depending on how busy at work I am or where we are in the season. Um, obviously, you know, once you get to like a month into the season, you might be a little more active. Towards the end of the season, you might be a little less active, just depending on the injuries and how your team's going. Um, but I find for the most part people aren't nearly as active as they should be on the waiver wire. You see guys by the end of the season that have only made 20 moves, and I just don't understand how they even – um, survive doing that. Um, I've also found, you know, there's a lot of people that make way too many moves, and I know we know personally know a few. Yes, we do. Um, I, tr- I-, I try not to, uh, make too many moves in the first month. Um, I think it's important to just let the season pan out early, let guys get into a groove. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of guys at that, that, you know, 150, 200 in the first month of the season. That doesn't necessarily mean that you give up on them. You know, obviously, you might give up on a guy that you drafted late. But those middle-round middle guys that, you know, there's a chance that they might not necessarily hit a groove until May or June. You know, you can't, you can't give up on them. You might not put them in your lineup, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to drop them. Because most of the guys that you're going to pick up on the waiver wire, they might be hot for two weeks at a time, three weeks at a time. But for the course of a whole season, it's not going to pan out. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I've seen plenty of guys have awful April's and still finish in the top 20. And the importance of knowing when to get rid of a guy who you picked up on a hot streak is huge, too. Um, So that's just to kind of counteract that point. Too often, I've done this, too. Uh, Personally, I've seen people refuse to get rid of a guy who was hot last month. They keep him in their lineup during a three-week cold streak, and killing them. they lose all three weeks because, you know, they have two of those guys or one of those guys that just kills their batting average or kills their RBIs or whatever category it may be. It's definitely a delicate dance. But, um, I, yeah, I think it's the most important thing is knowing player trends and following them daily.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yankee fans will remember, too, Mark Teixeira was always a slow star in April and May, and he was always putting up good numbers at the end of the season.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, I'm sure there wasn't too many people who were dropping Mark Teixeira. but maybe towards the end of his career. Like, I know he had that one surprise season. I can't remember which year it was, but the one surprise season where he hit, like, 39 home runs. But he started so slow. So I'm sure there was a couple of guys who had dropped him and were like, you know, I, I shouldn't have done it. But you know, sometimes you have to be—you have to know when to be patient, and uh, know when you can—you can get rid of a guy. It's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's not easy, but you know that's the importance of also staying in tune with trends and uh, the waiver wire in general.
0: All right, Phil. Thank you for all the time talking about fantasy baseball today. Before you go, we are recording on Monday in the NFL's tampering period. I actually have some breaking news for you about your reaction to this contract. Former—you weren't—you know—you're a Giants fan. Former Giants safety Landon Collins has reportedly going to sign with the Redskins. Six years. $84 million, $45 million guarantee over the first three. What is your reaction to that trade, to that deal?
2: I don't believe he's worth that kind of money. Um, I know he's, he's a very, very good run stopper, but I, I'm a giant season ticket holder. I watch every snap of every season. And, uh, you know, he did have an unbelievable season in 2016, no doubt about it, but he... Noticeably declined, and obviously the defense wasn't as talented around him. But um, when you're a great player, you make players around you better. Uh, you're able to just make plays. Um, and I mean, six years, $84 million, 45 guaranteed is a lot of money. And it's it stinks that he's going to be in the division and he's going to want to you know stick it to us two times a year. But um, I understand why the Giants maybe figured they needed to cut ties although I don't see why they couldn't just franchise him for a year, keep him on the roster, and then, uh, you know, figure out what they're going to do next season.
0: Yeah, I feel like that was a wise choice. It's based on pure scheme fit to let him go, and I wouldn't, should not have given him that much money, but I feel the Giants have a lot, a good plan for the offseason. I mean, the trade for Olivia Vernon for Kevin Zeitler was very good, and they re- re-signed Spencer Poley, so now we'll see where they go from here.
2: Yeah, man, got to bolster up that offensive line for, for Saquon because, you know, if we can, if we can have a consistent line play and give Eli just a little bit of time, who knows what the offense can do? Because that offense is so talented, scoring the defense might not have to be that great if we're scoring thirty, thirty-five points a game.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Phil. Before we go, do you have any social media you want to plug? Anything you want us to follow?
2: Now, well, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. Um, my, my first name Phil, filtographs. So not photographs, filtographs. Follow me on Instagram. All right. I don't really do Twitter though.
0: Yeah, you should, you should get on the Twitter again. I feel like you would be fun on there.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I, I used to be on it all the time. Maybe I'll have to revisit that.
0: Yeah, if you revisit it and you come back on again, be sure you plug that next time. Phil, thanks for all the time.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. I'm having a lot of fun.
0: All right, good luck in the draft next week. Yeah, you too. All right, that was Phil Lombardo with our Fantasy Baseball preview. Up next, this week's two-minute drill, where I'll tell you why small conference tournaments are awesome and you need to check them out right after this. <laughs>
2: Brown, Low house. good if it goes, that's it! Bradley
1: has gone to the NCAA Tournament for the first time in 13 years!
0: Alright, you guys heard the voice of the great Kevin Harlan for CBS calling the end of the Missouri Valley Championship over the weekend. Bradley wins the MVC title. They go to the dance for the first time since 2006. The first time in 13 years they are dancing. The first time in 31 years they have won the Missouri Valley. And that was one of the many great small conferences holding their tournaments over the weekend. Other auto bid winners over the weekend. Murray State and Ja Morant. Future NBA lottery pick. They beat Belmont in the OVC. Liberty. In the Atlantic Sun, great game against Lipscomb, win on the road at Lipscomb, go to the dance, and Gardner Webb from the Big South. The first time ever they are going to dance. Congratulations to those schools. This week, a lot more conference tournaments, and as we talked about earlier, Patrick Schmidt, a lot of the big guys coming out this week. The A C tournaments this week, Big Ten Tournament, Big East Tournament, SEC, That's where all you casual fans are going to go. You're going to go watch the big teams, play these games, play, you know, and see, oh, is Duke going to win with Zion back? Can Kansas get back to the top of the Big 12? Can Michigan or Michigan State win the Big 10? All that's nice, but you know what? At the end of the day, those don't really mean that much. All those teams I just mentioned, they're all going to March Madness. Do you really, we really care enough to see if Indiana or Texas or Minnesota or Clemson doesn't have to win in the AC tournament and get an at-large bid? That doesn't really interest me. What interests me is the, seeing these smaller conferences, their tournaments, where it is a more desperate situation. You have to win the tournament to go to the dance. You have to get that automatic bid. There is no at-large coming for a team like Lipskin most likely you know they should be in there. they should be they have a good resume, but they probably will get passed over for a 16 lost Texas team and yeah just yes just on Sunday I was watching Liberty and Lipskin play in the A-Sun championship. I had tickets to Captain Marvel. I left late for that because I was so enthralled by this game. these guys were going back and forth basket for basket close all the way throughout and it was a fantastic basketball game. And these games are high caliber games. The intensity is so much greater than it is in the ACC tournament or the Pac-12 tournament or whatever big conference you could think of. I had that experience at, with Iona every year. The Gales in the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference made the Final 7 years in a row. which mean 7 years in a row you're watching this game saying, "You know what? We need to win to get in the conference get in the NCAA tournament." There is no at large big coming you need to take care of business. That makes it so much fun. And just look at some of these leagues. Look at the Southern Conference. This league is not only a one big league. This year you got four good teams in it. You have Wofford, which is ranked right now. Wofford's in the top 25. And that team is incredible to watch. You also have Furman, who lost in the semifinals this league to UNC Greensboro, who is another great team. But Furman went on the road and beat Villanova. Also, East Tennessee State in that league, very good team, lost to Wofford, will most likely be in the NIT at best. The basketball can be great in these smaller tournaments, and you should watch some of these guys over the weekend. Let me give you some recommendations for you. Watch the America East on Saturday, the final. Vermont is projected as high as a 13 seed in the NCAA tournament. Watch Vermont. They have to play at 11 a.m. on Saturday, and they have to win to get in, so that's going to be a fun atmosphere watch the uh, Mac not the Iona Mac the, Mid- the Mid-American Conference where Buffalo is there trying to win the, b- the bid now they're different they're going to be going to the tournament anyway Nate Oates' squad has done enough to get in on their own merits but if they face off against somebody who needs that spot who needs to win to get in like a Bowling Green or a Toledo or an Akron that's going to be a lot of fun and of course the Ivy League you have a 14 conference tournament this weekend can Yale or Harvard get back there? They know they have to win that game. They know that they have to win those two games and get to March on their own, and that makes it a lot of fun. There's a lot of desperate teams in it, and it's a lot of intrigue. I'm begging you guys. Take the time. Watch one of these. Find one conference title game in a small league. Check it out. You will not regret it. There should be more of the little guys in March, but until the committee does better... This is the best way to enjoy small conference basketball. Check it out. You will not regret it. All right, and that's going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Patrick Schmidt for stopping by to talk college hoops, Joe Daloisi for coming in to break down the insane start to NFL free agency, and Phil Lombardo for taking the time to come on and do a fantasy baseball preview. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at how the Yankees should fill in for the injured Luis Severino, be sure to check out my blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store or the Google Play music section. Feel free to leave your feedback and star eggs in order to help make the show even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at MPhillips331. That's M P H I L L I P S 331. And tweet at me with the hashtag MidMajorBasketball. We made it at the end of this week's show. Next week, Selection Sundays coming up. We're going to have a full college basketball show. We're going to break down the brackets, have some tips on how to fill it out, pick the games, all that good stuff, and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Steelers fans.